0: Well, praise the Lord. We're continuing our study on Abraham. Uh, last week we ended chapter 15 where God made a covenant. We talked about the covenant and the animals and God passing through and that Abraham was going to inherit all the land he could see. We ended with, with verse 18. It says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said to your descendants, I will give this land from the river of, the, of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates. Now we come to chapter 16 and some commentators call this a detour you ever take a detour Pennsylvania there's detours you know there's what there's winter after winter construction season and winter well there's detours and I've always found detours are longer and a little bit harder than taking the main road do you ever anybody have a GPS use a GPS I used to use a map, now I got lazy, I use a GPS. But now, a lot of times my GPS will tell me, if, there, if it's like one 100th of a mile shorter, it will take me that way. And a lot of times those are down alleys and back roads and, and all these twisty turning roads to get actually back on the main road. In fact, I was going up towards Wellsville and my old GPS told me to get off on Old Carlisle and follow it down, and they get back on Carlisle at the other end. A detour is usually put in place because something's happening and preventing you from reaching your main destination. And that's exactly what was happening in chapter 16. Verse 1 says, Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne no children. Now, why was that significant? Why was that a big deal? Well, because God promised them that they were gonna be, make a great nation. Back in chapter 15 it says, verse three, and Abraham said, you've given me no children, so, my, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him and says, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. So now when you have chapter 15, God says, okay, this is the main road, start following the main road, I'm gonna get you there. They come to 16, there's no kids. Now they have a detour. How long had they traveled this road without children? You find out in chapter 12 when God called him, promised him to be a great nation. In 12, verse 2, it says, I will make you a great nation. And he was 75 when he got that promise. Genesis 12:4. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haram. And now we find out that he is 86. Genesis 16, 16 says, Abraham was 86 when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So it's been at least 10 years since God gave him the promise. I don't know about you, but 10 years is like a long time, right? And 86 is old. 10 years has gone by. Sarah's getting nervous because even though Abraham is old, we know his time is winding down and she's not pregnant yet. And she's, prom- she's getting nervous about this whole promise thing. Now, we're going to see later why God waited so long. But there's always a reason for God waiting. How many know that? When God pauses or takes his time, there's a distinct purpose in that. I'm reading through the end of Genesis now with Joseph and his brothers. And when, when the brothers come and they see him in Egypt, and he puts them through all these tests and stuff, and he kind of frames them for a couple of things, I used to think that was him getting back and his brothers. He calls them back and puts them in jail and he promises and you know, all these things. But what that actually is, is Joseph is bringing his brothers to the point where they acknowledge their sin. Up until that point, they didn't acknowledge it. And he had to make them go through all these, these testings and you know, threats of jail and, and slavery In order to get them to finally confess and repent and once they do that is when he reveals himself to them but it took a while he could have done it right away and there's a reason that God didn't do it right away for Abraham as well there's always a reason for God's timing and I'm sure most of us don't like having to wait for God's promises to to happen look at God's promises in in his word and things you want to claim for yourself or maybe have claimed for yourself and has of yet not happened now I think I have a couple ones Proverbs 22 6 train up a child in the way he should go when he's old he won't turn from it now technically not a promise but a great principle how many pray that prayer and it's not happened yet How many of us wait for years or decades for God to fulfill a promise that we have already claimed? So like us, Sarah wants to speed up the process. Anybody ever tried to help God out? (laughs) Give God a hand because he's not doing it fast enough? Well, that's exactly what she did. Genesis 1 continues on and says, but she had an an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children, so go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Detour. God's got me on the main road, but I see a shorter way. I see a shorter path to get there. You ever see a shorter road? You ever drive down a road and wonder where it goes? I do that every once in a while. I'll see a road I'll pass every... Every day, and I wonder where that road goes. And you start driving down that road, and you realize it takes you a thousand miles away from where you want to be. That's exactly what she was doing. It takes you to the middle of nowhere. And her helping God out takes her to the middle of nowhere. Detours, shortcuts never work out well if we think we're helping God out by doing it our way. Now, this thing with Abraham and Hagar we look at it through today's eyes and we think that's crazy but in bible times that was a normal practice for them not god sanctioned but it was a normal practice for society for slave girls to bear children for their masters it wasn't it wasn't weird like it is today now i remember a lot of things in the bible that we think are weird today weren't back then i remember when i was a new christian i I asked our pastor, a brand new Christian, I said, for Adam and Eve and their kids, who did their kids marry? Well, their sisters, right? And their cousins. And we think that today is crazy, but that's how God worked back then. So a lot of the things we look at through eyes of today, even though it's not God's best, it wasn't as bad as we would see it today. So... None of this was God's original plan or ultimate design for marriage, but he allowed it to happen. And we're gonna see the results are similar to what they would be if that happened today. Now remember, God spoke to Abraham. He didn't speak to Sarah. He spoke to Abraham and he basically told her that. So we assume that Abraham told Sarah this is what's gonna happen. So she's getting nervous, it hasn't happened yet. So in the natural you might feel for Sarah. Okay, it's been ten years. Abraham, you're getting up there. It's 86. You know, I'm getting older. It's it's not going to happen. We need to start something quick. We've tried the regular way. We tried the regular road. It's not working. Maybe we need to try something else. The slave thing is okay with God normally. Abraham, if God allows it, let's try that. How often do we see legitimate options placed in front of us that sound good, that sound like they could work out, but they're, you know they're not part of God's plan, not part of what God wants us to do. Now, through this quarantine virus thing, there have been uh, loans available to churches to cover costs had they not been able to raise. And we discussed it, our board and I discussed it, and we felt like even though it's a good option, we're gonna trust God and not take that the loan. Even though the loan might have been forgiven, we're not gonna indenture ourselves to the government for the loan. So even though it was a viable option, it looked good, we said no, we're gonna trust God. And praise the Lord, God has been more than faithful to make that up. So, Even though something looks logical and legitimate and it's a legal thing to do, maybe it's not God's perfect plan at that moment. Maybe we need to trust God. As Keith said at the beginning, the math doesn't work out sometimes. 90% goes further than 100% when you tithe. I I, I can't, can't explain it, but God does it that way. And so when things are put in front of us, that are distractions or detours. We have to really carefully acknowledge that and pray about it because they may be something that's taking you on a detour, and that's exactly what was happening with Sarah. Now, at this point, Abraham should have said, no, nope, we're going to trust God. God told me it's going to work this way. We're not going to do it your way. We're going to wait." And a couple of reasons that he needed to wait. One was patience god always is in the process of building patience now if you pray for patience bad prayer because the only way you learn it is by having to endure it or grow it and god wants us to build our faith through patience i think most of us are by nature impatient when i go to a grocery store or whatever i'm in i invariably get in the shortest line that takes the longest to go through because either they have a problem with an item or they get 10,000 coupons or whatever the case might be. Yeah. And I am... Come on. And then I, then I jump lines because I think it's quicker and that line winds up being slower. Why? Because we're, we're naturally, at least I am naturally impatient. God wants us to build our faith through patience. Hebrews 6.12 says, we do not want you to become lazy but to imitate those who... through who through faith and patience inherit what God had promised. James 1.3, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Abraham should have waited for God to fulfill what God said he was gonna be. Now, in those days, now the promise was technically to Abraham. The promise didn't say anything about Sarah. So Sarah was assuming that it was just through him but God wanted two things to happen and we're gonna find out those in a moment. He didn't do that, he gave in to Sarah. Genesis 16.2 says, Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. Now, every commentary I read says that there are multitudes of jokes about husbands not listening to their wives. Sarah said, hey, go to Hagar And Abraham said, okay, I'll do that. Sarah was not the one who failed this promise. Abraham was the one who failed it because he gave in to the flesh. He gave in to what he knew he shouldn't have been doing. He used human reasoning to make the decision, therefore not operating in faith. If God says, I'm going to give you a child, it's going to happen that way. Sarah suggested it. Abraham could have said no. Genesis two, Genesis sixteen two goes on, or verse 3. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. Another reason, the main reason that God wanted them to wait was because he wanted them to get in a position where it was physically Impossible to have children. Obviously, at 86, Abraham was still able to have children. He wanted both of them to be in a position where it was humanly impossible. Hebrews 11:1 says this: "By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age — in other words, he was physically unable — and Sarah herself was barren, was unable to become a father. God wanted him to come to a point where it was not possible. Because right now, it's possible. There's no faith involved, there's no promise involved. God wanted it to be an act of total faith and a miracle. Hebrews eleven twelve 12 goes on and says, and so from this one man and he as good as dead. Right now, Abraham can claim to be the natural father God wanted him to be in a position where he could not claim that, that God would have to work through him in a miracle so that his child would be born. There are going to be times when God puts insurmountable obstacles in your, in your path that you can't overcome on your own. God wanted Abraham to be in a position that was insurmountable to him, that in his own strength he was not able to complete, that he had to trust God for And God's gonna put obstacles in our path that in human terms, in human nature, in our own ability is impossible to get through. Because God wants us to put our trust in Him in order to see a miracle happen. If you do it in your own strength and it it works out in your own ability, God does not get credit. God does not get the glory. However, if it's a thing that is impossible for you to accomplish in your own strength, and yet it happens, Who gets the credit for that? God gets the glory. God gets the credit. If we're able to solve every obstacle in our own strength, where does faith come from? How do we build our faith if we can conquer anything? If we can do everything that is put in front of us, we don't need faith to trust God because we can do it ourselves. A lot of times in Old Testament Israel, whenever God prospered them, what happened? They forgot about God because they were able to do whatever they wanted. They had the resources, they had safety, they were victorious in their, all their battles. They didn't need God for anything. But as soon as God took his hand away and bad things started happening happen to them and they couldn't win, they couldn't fight, they didn't have food, that's when they trusted God. God doesn't want us to get to the point where he has to pull the rug out from under us to get our faith up. He wants us to do that every day. Verse four says, when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Now I said earlier that we're going to see the consequences of what happened, just like it would happen today. You read that verse. Who didn't see this was coming? Women. Did you see this coming? Here, go sleep with this lady over here. She'll get pregnant, and I'm going to be totally okay with that. And she's going to be totally okay with that too. There's a show on TV, what's it called? The guy's got like five or six wives. And they seem to be okay with it, but there's always struggles and combats and and battles in that. Of course, who doesn't see that happening in that type of situation? So Hagar was getting uppity with Sarah. She was no longer a servant a subordinate to Sarah. Now she was an equal to Sarah because she was now a wife. She was going to have the baby. Sarah wasn't going to have the baby. So guess what, Sarah? I'm your equal. And I might even be better than you because I'm probably younger than you. And I'm going to have a baby that you couldn't have. So Hagar gets a little attitude. And she begins to act like a wife and starts to put Sarah down because she couldn't have a baby. Guess what Abraham's starting to do? Reaping what he sowed. Verse five goes on, Sarah said to Abraham, you're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my servant in your arms and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Now technically she's right, Abraham could have said no, but whose idea was it? It was Hagar. She made the call, he answered it, and now it's coming back to him. You ever make a rash decision or a rash choice? And now you're probably wondering why you suffer. Abraham sowed to the flesh. In other words, he took matters into his own hands, and now he's suffering because of the choices he made. And he's wondering why things are so bad. Verse 6 says, Your servant is in your hands, Abraham said. Do with her whatever you think best. She's right because he should have intervened and said no. But now he's putting it back on her. You, look, I don't want to be a part of this. You, if it's your idea, you handle it. Verse 6 says, So Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Here's an example of two wrongs don't make a right. Sarah shouldn't have suggested Hagar. It happened and now Hagar got an attitude and Sarah says, well enough of that, I'm kicking you out, you're leaving. She shouldn't have suggested the idea and now she shouldn't have mistreated her for Sarah's decision. Of course this is going to be the outcome. Sarah, what did you think was gonna happen when Hagar got pregnant? Do you think it's gonna go back to the way it was? Do you think things can go back to how they were before? So now Sarah's beginning to reap what she sowed. Now, so you have two women fighting, and there's a situation no God wants to be involved with, right? Abraham should have put a stop to it, but he didn't. So what happens? Hagar runs away which also wasn't the right thing to do. You ever try to run away from a decision you make, a choice you make? You make a a fleshly or a bad choice, and now you want to just get out of it. You want to run away from the decision. We watched these 2020-type things, and there was one where a wife just took off. Took off. Everyone thought she was dead, but 20 years later, they find her living someplace else with another husband, another family. Why, because she ran away from whatever problems she was facing at home. We can't run from our problems, we have to face them and ask God to help us through those. That is when she needed to go to God to get help. So now you have Hagar running away from God, she should have went to God because he was still a part of the mix. In verse seven, says, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that was beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarah, she answered. You ever why, you, and notice it says the angel of the Lord, so that's pre-incarnate Christ. That's Christ taking a form in the Old Testament. But you ever wonder why he asks her those questions? He knows where she's from he knows where she's going he asks her those questions so she's able to face them for herself a lot of times when situations come we have to honestly face up to the decision we make and then deal with it from that point on how many have ever really taken your own path totally blown it with God and then wonder where you are And you don't acknowledge maybe what you did I've equated that to this a little bit what was your motivation for making the choice do you want to help God out not like what God's doing or was your motivation you really prayed through something and you want to make a decision a choice and you really thought that this choice was pleasing to God because of your time and your devotion your prayer life and you made the choice and then you find out later on that maybe it was the wrong choice to make. Two different motivations. And, I, and since God calls us his kids, I equate that similarly to our kids. When you have a, a child who just has a bad attitude and does something out of that bad attitude that messes something up, is different from a child who wants to do something to please you to honor you because they love you and in the process of doing that they mess up or they break something or whatever happens. Result is the same motivation is different. If I have an attitude and I break something on the floor because I'm mad is different than I'm trying to make something with you and it falls out of my hand and hits the floor. Same thing they're both broken but the motivation behind breaking them is different. And a lot of times I think when we do something to please God because we want to honor God and we wind up making a bad choice, how do you think God's reaction to that is? It's different, I believe, than I just don't want to do what God wants me to do. And I'm going to do it my own way. You may suffer similar situations, similar consequences, but the one who is humble and the one who is wanting to please God, God brings you back around as a parent When your child in the process of wanting to help you, they break something. Isn't your reaction to them different than the person who just throws it on the ground because they're mad? That's okay, dear. Let me hear. Let me help you clean that up. I understand you just made a mistake. Let me help you clean it up. As opposed to, you better clean that up. And once you're done cleaning it up, go to your room. Sarah made a mistake. Hagar made a mistake. Hagar left, and yet God chased her. God wanted her to realize where she was. He wanted her to understand what the situation was. And I think God wants us, when we do something wrong, what's the motivation behind what we're doing? He brings that to our mind so we can acknowledge it. Just like Joseph and his brothers, we have to get to the point where we acknowledge what we did was wrong, confess it, and then move on from God. So, in times of desperation, those are the times you don't run away, but you run to God. Those are the times God wants you to run to Him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Proverbs eight seventeen: I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. Sarah thought, Man, I can't, you know, the wife... And the husband, they're both against me. He's not defending me. He's not helping me. She's running me out of time. I've got nowhere to go. I've got nothing. That's the time you press into God. When you think like nothing is in working out the way you want it to. Nothing is working to your benefit. Everything seems to be working against you. That's the time you press into God, not run away from God. Verse 9 and 10. Then the angels of the Lord said to her, Go back back to your mistress and submit to her, the angel added. I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. Just because you're in a bad situation doesn't mean God calls you to leave that situation right away. He says, go back. Go back to Sarah. How many have ever had a job that you didn't like? Not always are we called to quit that job. Sometimes we are, but not always. Sometimes God wants to build our strength and our perseverance in the negative situation. Just because something is not going your way doesn't mean automatically we leave because God may use that to fine-tune us, which is exactly what he's going to do. He also uses a situation to maybe help other people because we're going to see when Hagar goes back, Sarah, according to God's word, we don't know, but it says nothing about her being mistreated again. So when Sarah, or Hagar goes back, Sarah seems to welcome her back, and everything seems to work out okay. He promised her, if you go back, I'll bless you with many children and descendants. And what we don't read is that Sarah got a change of heart. And it seems they got along. Abraham got to see Ishmael grow up, cared for him, loved him, but even though he knew he wasn't part of God's covenant. Genesis 17 18 says, Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might under, live under your blessing. Today we're called to love people that may not share in the blessings that we have with God. Isaac was the child of promise. Isaac was the covenant bearer. Ishmael was not. But God or Abraham still said, God, please bless Ishmael, even though he's not part of the covenant. We're called to love people who don't have the same covenant relationship we have with God. And the reason that God calls us to do that is so they could see the difference. They could see how the covenant relationship we have with Christ Changes our life and their, therefore changes theirs. We're called to love and care for them, so that they might see God's blessing in our lives and want it for themselves. We see a lot of angst going on right now in the country. a lot of craziness. You wonder if the enemy's at work? You want the enemies alive and well and doing okay? Yes. Watch the news, or I, as Angel and I were saying, don't watch the news. Get upset, but you realize how much people need God. People who you think they're good people, good persons, you never know what's going to happen to them when something bad happens in their life. The difference between us and those who don't know Christ is that we have the ability to live in peace we have the ability to love them and encourage them and be what Jesus has called us to be with them now next week we're gonna continue Abraham study and we're gonna see how that what happened all those years ago still affects us today in a major way And you think the things that we do now have little impact? The things that we do now could affect many people, generations to come. You think about maybe you're the first person in your family to come to know Christ, and that causes the rest of your family to come to know Christ. Otherwise, they would have went someplace else. Maybe you're the catalyst. Maybe you're the person who teaches the next Billy Graham in your Sunday school class. Maybe you're the one who witnesses to that person at work who becomes the next great evangelist. You don't know what your life is going to be like and you don't know how what you simple thing you do today is going to affect maybe generations to come. I've heard this example before. No one remembers Billy Graham's Sunday school teacher. I don't know his name. But according to his biography, that's who got Billy Graham saved. You never know what little thing we do now has an effect for generations to come. What Abraham did with Hagar and Ishmael caused significant spiritual problems from then to now. And sometimes the things that we do here now negatively can have the same effect for generations to come. Would you stand as we close this morning? If you bow your heads for a moment. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you that each one of us, as we've said many times, you have a plan and a purpose for each one of our lives. Lord, we pray that we continue on the path that you've given us that we do not let detours distract us from where you've called us to be. It's easy to get drawn off on a whole bunch of little rabbit trails and different routes and different things. Father, help us to keep our mind focused on the, on the main thing you've called each one of us to. Now, each one of us has, has different directions, different plans, but us as a church, we have one united, one united plan one mission and that is to be the church not only in the building but to be the church wherever we go our lives are supposed to reflect the goodness of God the Bible says the goodness of God leads people to repentance when people realize how good you have been to them and how good you've been to us it hopefully draws them to you they see the benefits of serving Christ. They see the, the joy that it is serving Christ. Regardless of the situation we're in, regardless of how, how many trials and tribulations we have, people can still see that joy. And I pray that every day that the Spirit of God fills us and allows us to keep on that path because we know if we follow your direction and continue on, as we mentioned last, we continued firm in the faith we never know what type of effect we're going to have on people's lives. When we follow your path, we know we will receive your blessing. Help us to have patience. Help us to persevere. Help us to build our faith as we trust you and see you working every day. And help us to recognize the times that you are working. That's not just accidents or coincidences. God, everything, everything has your hand upon it. Nothing happens, Lord, that you don't know about, that you don't allow. And even all the negative things that are happening today, Lord, we pray for our country to see what's going on and realize that they need God in their life. Bad people will do bad things, but those who are suffering because of those, help them to reach out to you. Let the enemy not be the ultimate victor here, Lord, but let the power of God permeate each of these negative situations and draw many to you so that they will be saved. And God, you We'll get the glory even through this. Father, help us as a church to be ready and able to talk to people and lead them to you. And Father, as a church, right now, we just we lift up the situation to you. We pray that your Holy Spirit fills those cities, those towns that, God, you would touch each and every person who's out there. Draw them to yourself. Bring healing to those towns. Bring reconciliation to people. Bring reconciliation to people who aren't involved in this at all. Help us to see one. We're not many people We're not different colors. We're not different races. We are all people. And you love people. So I pray that you would draw people to yourself so that every person receives the benefits and the glory that comes with knowing Christ. And Father, we will thank you when we see great things happen we will thank you when we hear of salvations, we will thank you when we see miracles take place. Help us to keep praying for the power of God and revival to fall upon this country. Now Lord we commit ourselves to you wholly to you and we do it in Jesus name and all of God's people said Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a tremendous week. Join us online this Wednesday and then back here next Sunday, 1030.